Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome welcome to all four of you. Welcome to anybody joining us online for the first time tonight. I'd like to begin uh, class by asking you to talk to each other in the service of Against the Stream being a place where you can meet people and make some connections and develop some community. If you that's what you want, it's a core core part of Buddhism to uh, connect and sustain connections with other meditators. We call it Sangha, community. Um, at home, I put you into breakout rooms. We're going to talk tonight, I'm going to talk tonight about uh, acceptance and the, the role of acceptance and just kind of reflect a little bit on, on acceptance. And so for the small groups talking to each other, um, maybe introduce yourself and maybe say where you're from if you you know don't know each other or, um, how long you've been part of this you know just a quick introduction and then uh, try to identify something that you find unacceptable or that you have a hard time accepting and talk to each other a little bit like I have a hard time accepting all of the oppression in this world all the ignorance all the i have a hard time accepting you know what is what's something that you find unacceptable or, or suffer about accepting and don't want to accept and because uh, i'm going to reflect on that tonight like where is what does buddhism teach us about acceptance and where's that line between uh acceptance and complacency when we shouldn't be accepted we should be working for a positive change we should be uh, engaging with uh, things rather than acceptance as this sort of complacency that doesn't do anything to change, to, to try to create a positive shift towards wisdom, justice, equality, whatever it is that we're talking about. So find some people you don't know. It's best to meet new people. It's an opportunity rather than just talk, turning towards your friend who you're here with, but actually stand up, look for some people you don't know, introduce yourselves and talk about acceptance and what is something that you find hard to accept or unacceptable. And at home, I'll open the... <laughs> Breakout rooms are coming. Here they come. And I encourage you to join one. <laughs> one way we could talk about meditation is learning to accept the present just as it is, accept that some of our experience is pleasant. Some of our experience is unpleasant, learning to accept unpleasantness, discomfort, difficult emotions, difficult sensations. Learning to fully and completely accept ourselves just as we are is part of what we're doing in meditation. We're also learning to 
respond and uh, in a different way to our pain, to our minds, to our self-centered, fear-based human tendencies, the repetitive craving, the second noble truth, the cause of all human suffering is the completely impersonal phenomena of repetitive craving for sense pleasure. This is the Buddha's teaching. You want to know why you're suffering? It's because of the totally impersonal repetitive experience of wanting our life to be more pleasant than it is at kind of all times. And the more we meditate, the more we see, yep, that's what's happening in here. I'm not, I'm resisting what's happening. I'm craving for it to be different, almost always more pleasant, less unpleasant, more interesting, less mundane, less boring. So as we start the sitting meditation tonight, think about the orientation of accepting yourself completely as you are your mind with all of its bad habits and the judgments and the fears, rather than resisting and trying to control or stop the mind. Yesterday we had a day long and Lainey, our community member, talked about her mind as K-fuck radio. And just thinking about, yep, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna listen to K-fuck radio. I'm gonna allow it, I'm gonna accept that you know, I'm really stuck on a fucking terrible channel tonight, if that's what's happening. Or maybe you've got some smooth jazz. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in there. But whatever it is, whatever the mind is playing, whatever the heart, the emotions, the body is experiencing, as much as we can accept what's happening, as, as much peace as we can have with what's happening. Now, I'm definitely going to talk later about um, the importance of not being complacent, of taking action and uh, going against some of what's happening, transformation. Um, but part of it, the there is a foundation of acceptance. One of my teachers uh, says, just always remember to kind of come back to the wisdom of right now, it's like this which is like an acceptance phrase right now, whatever's happening, my knees are aching or my mind is planning or remembering or resenting or fearing or worrying or right now it's like this worrying is happening and I can fight it and make it worse. The Buddha talked about the first arrow, the unpleasant experience, the second arrow, the resistance, the judgment, the, the fear of the judgment, the, the judgment of the judgment, that second layer of suffering, we add on to what's happening right now. It's like this, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether you're peaceful in your meditation or agitated in your meditation, accepting, okay, agitation is like this. I'm not as calm and relaxed and tranquil as I'd like to be. I'm worried about something or I'm anxious or I'm resentful, accepting resentment. Yep, the mind's mad. I'm mad. So 
I'll give some meditation instructions, but as a general orientation, encouraging that kind of acceptance of yourself and your experience in meditation. And then we'll talk more about it after the sitting. First instruction is find a way to sit that is upright. So you wanna kind of elongate your spine. Some sit upright, but also relaxed. Let your body relax into the posture. Release any unnecessary tension that your body may be holding. Let the eyes be gently closed as we bring our full attention into the body, inward. Dropping the awareness out of the thinking mind into the feeling body. Find the place where you feel the breath, the nostrils or chest or belly. And become mindful of the sensations, present time awareness, of the changing sensations of the breath. No need to control the breath. Try to accept the body's rhythm, however it wants to breathe. Let the body breathe all by itself if you can. Just relax into your posture. Let the awareness be receptive. You don't need to lean into it. Just receiving. As the breath comes, it feels like this. As it exits, it feels like this. We also probably have to accept that the attention will be drawn away from the breath back into thinking. And this is where we're making a decision right now to come back to the breath. Redirecting. The mind continues to think but we don't have to be involved. We don't have to give our full attention to K-Fuck Radio. Let it be in the background. Come back to the breath without needing to stop the mind. We try to stop paying attention to it as we give our full attention to the body breathing.
Buddha said that even the breath itself could teach us the Dharma, the truth of reality, the impermanent nature, each breath has a beginning, a middle, and end. Paying attention to the impermanent nature of the sensations of the breath. the unsatisfactory or unreliable nature of sensation, constantly changing. And the impersonal or not self nature of the body breathing all by itself. We're not making it happen, it's just happening. Awareness, receiving sensations that the breath creates. you're new to this form of meditation, continue to use the breath as the 
focus, the object of awareness. Investigating the impermanent nature of sensation. The Buddha encouraged this practice as a foundation that was then built upon, expanded to become more inclusive of the whole body. Feel the posture, contact points with the chair, the cushion, sensations in the hands and feet, arms and legs. Opening to the sense doors, sound, smell, taste, vision as present time experience to be perceived, investigated. As well as the thoughts and emotions rather than ignoring the mind, opening including what the mind is thinking about. Trying not to intentionally engage in thinking, but just observing what the mind thinks about all by itself. The non-volitional thoughts that come uninvited. Trying to accept our mind just as it is, our bodies just as they are, pleasant or unpleasant. Right now, it's like this.
thoughts and emotions arising, passing, sensations arising and passing. When we resist what's happening, we create that extra layer of suffering, of difficulty, of stress. And we accept it without clinging, building our tolerance for the unpleasant mind states, sensations, emotions.
last few minutes reestablishing this intention to accept ourselves just as we are with all of the wounds of the past the worries about the future Be saying to yourself internally in your own inner voice with as much sincerity as sincerity as possible, using your own first name, I accept you just as you are. taking this intention and extending it to the people who you spoke with in the small groups. I accept you just as you are. Include your loved ones, bring to mind family, friends, I accept you just as you are, as much as I can in this moment, I meet you with acceptance. And beginning to extend this in all directions to all living beings on this planet. The intention to meet each other with acceptance from the most wise beings to the most confused. The young and old, those nearby, locally, those far away, other side of the world, and the animal 
realm, both the predators and the prey. Taking a few moments to reflect on accepting this world just as it is. With the 10,000 forms of joy and the 10,000 forms of suffering, confusion and ignorance. Ending by just returning to your own breath, your heart, your mind, your body. Right now, it's like this. Reflecting uh, in your own conditioned mind what acceptance means to you, what role acceptance plays in your life and your meditation practice and your relationships. I feel like there's um, as I've ref been reflecting on acceptance, that there's a couple of levels. Uh, the first level that I want to talk about is acceptance as the opposite of denial, that kind of acceptance, where um, accepting the way things are rather than being in denial or uh, about the way things are, both internally and externally. So much of what Buddhist mindfulness is teaching us is to see the way things are, to turn towards our own minds, our bodies, our emotions, and, and to directly experience the truth of the impermanent nature of thoughts, the impermanent nature of sensation and emotion. And it's the way things are, right? It's not a 
opinion. It's not a view. It's not a uh, it's the way things are. It's the truth with a capital T. All, everything's impermanent. And we can each reflect on how much we understand that and how much we accept the way things are. And how often, and then having the humility to uh, acknowledge how often we go into denial about something as simple and obvious as impermanence. How many times a day? do we forget or deny or think this is going to last forever or this isn't going to change or this shouldn't change you have that experience sometimes i do when um i'm having a really difficult emotion and i'm pretty sure it's never going to end when you're really sort of in some unpleasant mind state and then there's that sort of internal voice that says this shit's gonna last forever i'm gonna always be sad or i'm gonna always be anxious or i'm gonna always be and it just feels like overwhelming and like permanent there's this confusion in our mind some sort of, i don't know what it is some part of our survival instinct i don't know what it is that then goes into this delusion and this denial of impermanence and makes up this story of it's just gonna always be like this likewise yeah maybe hopefully i've also been guilty of having the uh with positive with like uh, when something's really great something's really you know wonderfully pleasant and joyous or even in your meditation practice you get to this place sometimes where you're like i'm at peace and it's going to stay like this forever i can remember when i first had the experience of forgiveness about 10 years into forgiveness meditation practice i came to this moment of feeling like i don't have any hatred towards anybody right now the first time in my life i'm not actively resenting <laughs> you know i could bring even the worst you know kind of oldest longest held resentments to mind and was able to meet him with compassion and forgiveness about a decade into that practice and and i went into denial about impermanence and i thought okay i got there and this is where i live now now i'm the guy that has no resentments and it didn't last very long at all but i saw that uh, i was forgetting the truth that this is a mind state this is a moment of freedom it's a real moment of freedom from hatred but it's not permanent it's just a moment of freedom from resentment and hatred and you know it's going to rise sustain and it's going to pass just like everything else so acceptance of the way things are from a buddhist perspective impermanence uh, uh unreliable and impersonal is kind of the three categories 
uh, oh, and this is our kind of on ultimate truth, ultimately. All things are impermanent. All things are, because of impermanence, unsatisfactory, unreliable, nothing, nothing worth clinging to because everything's impermanent. So I was asking about how often we go into denial about impermanence. Um, if we were really accepting impermanence, we wouldn't cling. Clinging, attachment and clinging is a denial of impermanence. Anytime you think that you can cling and get away with it, you're forgetting about impermanence. You're forgetting that the consequence of attachment is suffering in a realm of impermanence. Everything's changing, everything's... So anytime we cling, we're creating suffering rather than accepting, oh, this is impermanent. I'm meant to accept the impermanent nature of this sensation, experience, relationship, uh, for not whatever it is, this thought, this feeling, this sensation, this world, this incarnation, your incarnation, my incarnation. Anytime we cling, which we're, right? How, how many times did you get attached today, this week, this month? We're constantly doing it. We're constantly forgetting about impermanence and clinging. Now, I don't even like the way that I'm saying that because it almost sounds like it's your fault. Um, like it's our fault. One of the things I love about the Buddhist uh, teachings and frame that, that we have in Buddhism is that it sets the whole thing up of like, clinging is just gonna happen all by itself. Not your fault. We live in a realm of impermanence. And it's not as simple as just accepting it. We are wired. I don't know if it's hardwired or softwired or, or what, but we are wired to get attached to pleasant and to crave for pleasant. So it's not our fault that we forget. It's, the, it's natural. It's the status quo to uh, cling. I remember early on in my practice, I heard a Dharma talk, a teacher say something like, you know, we call ourselves human beings and so much of what we're trying to do in meditation is learn to be, he said, but the reality is we're human clingings. We're not very good at just being and acceptance of the impermanent nature of things. We're really good at clinging and therefore suffering. We're really good at resisting and therefore suffering. Human clingings, cling-ons. So my sense is that there's a level of acceptance of the way things are. And then there's denial of the way uh, what's happening. And I don't know about, you know, there's this level of ignorance. We seem to be born into ignorance. And I don't know at what age um, responsibility comes in or at what stage in our life responsibility comes in because uh, also, in our culture, we're not taught the truth. We're actually, uh, you know, taught a very delusional view of existence. Um, and I mean that both in our religious conditioning, in Judeo-Christian theistic uh, ideas. You know, it's not what's true about reality. It's this whole made-up thing that we're conditioned with. And then we, we start believing this 
completely you know delusional perspective of existence we're not told about impermanence we're not told about non-attachment we're not told about compassion as a skill that we can develop we're you know it's this whole other kind of fantasy story about what's going on here and then materialism and capitalism lays this whole other trip on us that says you know if you get enough stuff you'll be happy if you get enough you know material success and uh then that will work for you and then you'll be happy and you know totally cling to it and greed is good <laughs> and just accumulated this whole other conditioning that we have that's absolutely not true so it's you know, it's not quite as simple as accept reality as it is because we have a lot of a conditioned confusion to um, unlearn, to see through. But at some point you start studying the Dharma, right? Here we are in the Dharma, the Buddhism. And you start to hear it and you, most people, uh, I think, you know, not, of course Buddhism is not for everybody, but so often what I hear from people is I like Buddhism because it just makes sense. It's actually in line with, you know, reality. And it's not some sort of fantasy spiritual teaching. It's pointing out what feels true about the causes of suffering and, and giving us some skills to mitigate and to, to uh, accept what's happening here. And there's no blame, there's no judgment, there's empowerment. Here's how you can train your mind to let go to accept yourself, to accept this world as it is, to not suffer. I made that um, sort of brief comment in the beginning about the second arrow. And, um, it's a classic teaching from the Buddha where he says, you know, there's the, the first arrow, which is just life. You just live life. And the first arrow is that life is painful sometimes. Not all of the time, there's this misconception that the Buddha said life is suffering. He didn't say that, he said, there's some suffering in life. Part of existence is there's some suffering. There's all of this pleasure and joy and wonderful experiences in life to be enjoyed. And there's some pain and there's some suffering. The cause of the suffering, and so there's the, the given, that, that first arrow is like, oh, this is painful. Even impermanence itself is painful. Loss, grief, sorrow, lamentation, loving people who die, loving people who leave, loving people who betray, where all of those impermanence, caring about people who are subject to sickness and aging and death, who maybe aren't trustworthy, don't have integrity, don't have ethics, whatever it is. The first arrow is the painful experience. The second arrow is what we do to our pain. Rather than meeting our pain with compassion and acceptance and friendliness and mercy and empathy, we're not very good at that, meeting our pain with compassion. Instead, we make it worse by getting angry, you know, aversive, judgmental, afraid. One of the ways I heard the second arrow talked about was that the Buddha said something like, 
you know, so often we're like a person who's been shot with an arrow. And rather than like, you know, there's this simple solution, meet it with compassion. But rather than meet that arrow, you know, before you, you know, remove it, feel the pain, meet it with compassion. He said, you're like somebody who said, wait, before I let you remove this arrow, I want to know uh, what kind of uh, wood the arrow was made out of and what kind of feathers were the, um, uh, you know, on the tip of the arrow and what kind of point was it and, and, you know, who shot it and why did they shoot it? And, you know, all of this sort of like, why, rather than like, you're fucking bleeding. And rather than getting into the why and trying to figure it all out, here's a solution, non-attachment, compassion, acceptance. You've been shot. You can be in denial about it. I'm fine. No, no big deal. Just an arrow. So I feel like there's the acceptance versus um, denial. Because I uh, worry and about using acceptance as the, the second level, which is um, acceptance versus complacency. Because sometimes like, like if we just accept the world as it is, it's just too fucked up to accept as it is. We don't want to accept the inequality and the oppression and the uh, ignorance on the planet and just be like, oh, well, what are you going to do? There are things we can do. And it's, it's our duty, I believe, out of compassion, out of wisdom, to do what we can do. So acceptance means accepting the way things are, but from that, like even that saying right now, it's like this, it's not enough. It's right now. It's like this dot, dot, dot. It's like this. And therefore it's calling for like when our experience, we're mindful of our experience right now, it's painful. So it's not just and accept the pain and just wallow in it right now. It's painful. So it's calling for compassion calling for us to learn to meet our pain with friendliness and with compassion and with forgiveness. Acceptance sometimes can feel like that's the end. Acceptance is really just the beginning, accepting what's happening and then looking. Maybe it's that um, serenity prayer because there is some uh, inquiry that we have to do investigation into, is there something that I can do? Is there a reaction? Is there an engagement? Is there an action? You know, the serenity prayer, I think it's mostly in the 12 step world, but maybe it's some sort of Christian prayer. Uh, and it says, um, may I accept the things that I cannot change May I have the courage to change the things that I can? And may I have the wisdom to know the difference between? And this is the key question. Uh, is there some, you know, is this something that just needs to be accept because I cannot change it? Like impermanence? I cannot change impermanence. My only hope is to accept that reality. But there's other things like conditioned ignorance that actually I can change. Do I have the courage to free myself from conditioned ignorance? 
yes, I have that courage. I have the ability to free myself from conditioned ignorance, forms of social oppression or sexism or homophobia or racism or whatever can like yes i can change that i don't have to just accept oh yeah i'm kind of just a racist sorry <laughs> i was conditioned like this so i'm just going to accept it because i grew up in you know this culture so like no this is something that i can change yes i was conditioned you know in a confused culture with confused ideas about race and gender and sexual orientation we all were but this is something we can change. The Buddha's teachings on equanimity are connected, I think, to this perspective of um, serenity, the serenity prayer. There's all of this emphasis in Buddhism on accepting the reality that life is painful, that we live in this human body that is subject to sickness, aging, death, pain, sorrow. That we can learn to meet our pain with compassion. We can learn to meet each other's pain with compassion. We can learn to meet the, the pain in the world with compassion. And uh, it's, it's the courage to do that, to learn to, to be uncomfortable to be with our own pain, to turn towards our own pain, to be with each other's pain, not be in denial about it, to accept, yep, I care about people who are going to suffer, who are going to also die and have difficult experiences through their lives, and learning to meet it with empathy and mercy and compassion. But the flip side of that is also understanding our limitations. I can, you know, the Buddhist perspective is very empowering. It's saying, actually, you can end all of the suffering in your life. I mean, really, this is the third noble truth. Enlightenment is possible. You can end suffering in your own life by learning to meet your pain with compassion, your pleasure with non-attachment, breaking your misidentification with your ego mind as self or your body as self seeing the impersonal nature of things <laughs> you can end all of the suffering in your life very empowering through your own actions no divine intervention no you know you don't even need a you don't need a guru you don't even really need a dharma teacher you just need the dharma instructions here's how to train your mind in mindfulness on some level we need some teachers to give us some instructions but short of that there's no um people used to go to the buddha and say like you're enlightened like can i get some like, you know, give me some of your special compassionate. And the Buddha would just be like, I can't give you anything other than the meditation instructions. Here's how to do it. Do what I've done and you'll experience what I've experienced. Learn to not cling. Learn to have compassion. Here's the path to get there. And so all of this emphasis on compassion and all of this, um, hopeful 
encouragement towards ending our own suffering and confidence you can end your own suffering but then equanimity comes in and says but and have compassion for all beings but also remember there's things you cannot change no matter how much enlightenment you get no matter how much compassion you get your compassion cannot take away anybody else's ignorance or suffering your wisdom our wisdom that we develop cannot end suffering for anyone else it'll help us not cause more suffering it'll help us not be part of the problem to be you know creating suffering for people but we can't everyone's suffering is caused by their clinging their aversion their self-centeredness in a simple way these three core culprits attachment aversion selfing i mean mine and there's nothing that we can do to stop someone else from meeting their pain with the second arrow from meeting their pleasure with attachment we don't have that control we don't the courage to uh, change what we can is mostly internal when it comes to the human suffering now externally and this is where I don't feel like it's just complacency acceptance, but the engagement. What can we do? We can um, model. We can model non-clinging. We can live it and show people it's possible to actually not suffer as much as we used to and be an example. We can do that in our families, in our relationships, in our and nothing more inspiring than seeing somebody that is actually more free than we are and that kind of you know that that um you know, hopefully you've had that experience and we're like i want what that person has i want that kind of freedom i want to have compassion i want to have non-attachment how did you do it sometimes we just get into that delusion of like oh you're just like special <laughs> you're better than me or you're magically you know you're the buddha but the buddha was so clear of like i trained my mind to be able to do this and everyone can train their mind to be able to do this to not suffer so inspiring but the equanimity teaching comes in because the buddha says now remember no matter how much compassion you have everyone has to do their own work everyone has to free themselves from suffering happiness or unhappiness is not based on what's happening it's based on how we respond to what's happening just reflect on that for a moment like do you accept that really in your heart it's not pain that causes suffering it's resistance to pain it's not pleasure that's the problem it's clinging to pleasure that creates suffering how much do we actually accept that and the equanimity teachings that come in and say everyone has their own karma everyone on this planet has their own karma and their happiness or unhappiness will primarily be dependent on how they respond to their experience not our wishes for them not our compassion not our love but their own compassion their own love will create their happiness. 
So again, I don't know about you, but as I say that and I reflect on compassion and equanimity and accepting the way things are, I have some concern about it leading to complacency. Even everyone has their own karma. In traditional Indian society, what we would call Hinduism, Brahmanism, Vedic traditional society that created a caste system, a racist culture based on skin tone and and they used this teaching of karma to saying like it's your bad karma to be born uh, a darker skin color and therefore we are justified in oppressing you because it's your karma you were, or, or gender is your karma you're born a woman we're going to oppress you you're going to experience all of the oppression of our sexist patriarchal culture it's your karma so i'm kind of i bristle a little bit from like oh we just have to accept everyone has their own karma i don't know if that happens for you but i get into this uh kind of activist <laughs> mode where i'm like no 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 we can't we got to be careful for misusing teachings around equanimity and karma. And we have to remember that actually our karma is how we show up and we never get to use teachings on karma in order to support ignorance and oppression. That we are fully responsible, everyone's fully responsible, everyone involved in the caste system that is justifying oppression is creating negative karma for themselves. There is no free pass when it comes to ignorantly hurting each other. You're fully responsible for our actions. Does that make sense? Because sometimes acceptance can feel like, oh, we're just going to let it be this way rather than we're going to say actually yes we, this is the way it is what can we do to change it how can we model how can we inspire educate some of it's just education educating each other educating ourselves unlearning the confused conditioning we have acknowledging accepting like oh yeah I'm, i've been conditioned by a whole bunch of shit that's not true. It's hard to have that humility to really turn towards ourselves and be like, I believe a whole bunch of lies about myself, about the world, about other people. But it's hard to have that level of humility. This feels like a little bit of an aside, but it just came to mind of like, I have this sense that anytime you experience uh, shame or unworthiness, your mind is lying to you. Shame that part of the mind that says you're not a good person, you know, you're not worthy, you're not a good person, you're a bad person, you're that shame is always lying. I mean, it's different than guilt when you've actually done something <laughs> unskillful and you feel regret or remorse or guilt. Like guilt is a, a healthy, from a Buddhist perspective, it's a healthy emotion. You've caused some harm, absolutely feel guilty about it. That's healthy. People that don't feel guilty about causing harm are sociopaths. 
We're not going for spiritual sociopaths. That's not, that's not what we're trying to go for here. But shame that I'm a bad person and that the mind says, or unwor I'm unworthy of love, or I'm a worthy, unworthy of happiness, or uh, that is a lie. And having the humility to accept my mind lies to me. I've been believing it. But my, you know, this is some confused conditioning from the world, my childhood, whatever it is, Christianity, whatever it is, born into sin. Have you heard this one about how, I don't even know if it's true. I don't know if anything's true, but there was a time where a bunch of Western Dharma teachers were meeting with the Dalai Lama and the Dalai Lama, and they were asked, um, the Dalai Lama asked the group of teachers, what is the kind of most prevalent kind of suffering in the Western sanghas in the Western communities? And they cuddled up and said, you know, kind of conferred with each other. And then they went back and, and they said, uh, probably self-hatred. Probably, you know, people, look, unworthiness, self-hatred, insecurity about their own goodness. Shame on some level or another. And that supposedly the translator had to go back and forth with the Dalai Lama and that they sort of came up with like, we don't even have a word in Tibetan for self-hatred. That this is not a, a, a phenomena in our Buddhist culture. There's lots of suffering in our Buddhist culture, but it's not self-hatred. And the, the outcome being, you know, how different to be raised in a culture where you're conditioned with you have Buddha nature. Yes, you have suffering. There's a solution to end suffering, but ultimately you are good and there is compassion in your heart and you can be free from suffering and you're worthy of being a Buddha. What a different conditioning than to be raised in a culture that says, you know, God, you know, kind of pissed at humans and uh, Jesus died for your sins and you're all sinners. And you're kind of bad, actually, you're to the core. You're, you know, you're, and God's pissed at you. And you can be redeemed. You know, it's possible. If you accept Jesus, then you'll be okay. But if not, you're just a sinner. And that conditioning of like, and you shouldn't have sexual desire, and you shouldn't have, you know, all of the natural human feelings are sins. You, oh, you felt jealous? Sin. Oh, you felt you felt less sin. What a different conditioning. Even if you weren't raised in really strict religious homes, that's our cultural. It's on our fucking money. And God, we trust. It's 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 the 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 conditioning of our society is one of a theistic culture that believes humanity isn't good. And I mean, as I say that, I'm like, well, I'm not so sure humanity is good myself, <laughs> but there's the potential of goodness in us. There's the potential of seeing clearly through this eightfold path, through this process of mindfulness meditation that allows us to wake up and, and see what is confused in here. What is ignorant? Break our addiction, our identification with our own minds. 
our clinging, our craving, our, our attachment, and accepting ourselves There's a story of, I think it's Suzuki Roshi, Zen, Zen teacher, where he says to everyone in his Sangha, he says, you're all perfect just as you are. And he pauses and he says, but there's room for improvement. <laughs> and that kind of self-acceptance of like, I'm okay just as I am. And I have all of these confused, conditioned attitudes about who I am and about who other people are. And I have this tendency to cling, accepting, oh, there's this repetitive craving in my mind. The second noble truth is true. And it's possible to learn to let go. I'm so identified with my mind, my ego, myself. And it's possible to break that self-centeredness. The Dharma helps us to see through that, to learn to not take it all so personally. My teacher, teacher Ajahn Amaro sometimes says, um, you know, we talk about metta, loving kindness. He says that, you know, the, another word for metta is self-acceptance. And I did that at the end of the meditation tonight. Rather than the loving kindness phrases, may all beings be happy. May I just learn to accept myself just as I am. May I learn to accept you just as you are. May I learn to accept the world as it is. And may we continue to work, and I say it every time I teach, may we continue to work for a positive change on this planet. May we all have the courage to do what we can internally and externally to you know, create a positive change. Any questions, comments, clarifications about what I'm saying? Dave, go ahead. Um, if you're supposed to not cling and have aversion and all that, um, how do you explain the relationship with Well, could you hear the question at home? The question was, um, if we're not supposed to cling, how do we think about uh, relationships when we're supposed to love someone? <clears throat> Um, and I'll ask you and everyone to contemplate for a moment. What's the difference between connection and clinging? And even what it feels like when you feel connected to someone or you feel uh, clung to <laughs> by someone. Sometimes being clung to by the right person feels really fucking good. <laughs> So you know what I'm going to, I think, you, I think you've probably heard this before, but I'll do it anyways. The Buddhist ideal is non-attached connection in relationship, in all areas, internally, externally, romantically, in love, in all of it. Non-attached connection. Embrace, you know, we could even say embracing whatever we want to use the term. And I use my hands as the puppets. Right, clinging is controlling. Attachment is not accepting the impermanent nature of moods and you know, attitudes and emotions and 
uh, not accepting impermanence as clinging. Non-attachment connection has room for impermanence. So, you know, we're two beings in a relationship and you're in a good mood and I'm in a bad mood <laughs> and I want you to be in a bad mood with me or whatever it is. I'm attached, like how, how dare you be happy right now or vice versa. Non-attached connection says, oh, it's okay for you to be unhappy right now. Totally okay for you to have your own thoughts and feelings and I have compassion for you and, you know, in connection and, and I can be with you in it, but I don't need to control you or you to be a certain way. Clinging is controlling from this perspective. Now, I think the reality in relationship for all of us unenlightened people who are trying to be unattached, non-attached, is that we cling and we realize, oh, that, that hurts. Attachment hurts. And then we detach. And sometimes we hear, we see, oh, attachment hurts. So I'm going to avoid attachment by detaching and avoiding relationships. Like, oh, fuck that. That one hurt. Give me, you know. And then we come back in to connection. Connection doesn't hurt. Non-attached connection is non-attachment. Loving connection. And then we cling and then we detach and then we come back together and we cling and we detach. And hopefully we get more into like, oh, okay, mostly here in the connection, a little bit of cling. Oh, let's come back into connection, a little bit, come back into connection. And we try to live in connection that is not controlling of each other. And it's easier said than done. And it's why the Buddha was celibate. Because <laughs> it's really fucking hard to be non-attached in intimate, loving relationships. But we try. And we get better and better at it, hopefully. Let me take one question online. Laura, go ahead. Hey, Noah. Thank you so much for tonight's talk. Um, I have a really hard time wrapping my mind around the kind of like this disjointed feeling that I have. So the Buddha says right now it's like this, and that makes sense to me. You talk about um, accepting things as they are and knowing when you can change it to change and when you can't to to to, to not you know the the serenity prayer yeah i get it now i don't know if this is because i have just terrible opinions of my time in in the rooms with the the 12-step program but when people say things like it is what it is to me that is a thought terminating cliche. That is someone who is avoiding the subject, who does not want to discuss it further. It is what it is, conversation over. However, when I hear someone say, right now it's like this, I have, I'm much more accepting of that. And in my mind, I know there's a difference, but it's so ambiguous. I don't know how to explain it to other people. Um, I know what you're saying, and I think we all do. I saw heads nodding in the room and 
but we can do we could turn uh right now it's like this into the same kind of what you say conversation conversation ending dismissive statement we we can do that with any kind of spiritual truth where we're misusing because it is what it is is really high dharma that's what we're talking about <laughs> reality is actually what it is right like this is mind-blowing acceptance but then we can use it as this totally dismissive is what it is right now it's like this oh wow that's right or just like you know right now it's like this just totally dismissive so it's all in the tone and the intention and the mm, how it's used and it's saying you know uh, everything's everything <laughs> Yep, everything is actually everything, you know, or it isn't. I don't know. So maybe part of what your question or comment is, is like when we're in, you're talking about recovery circles, but it happens in Buddhist circles too. And and um, where we just start using, like even karma, like yeah, karma's a bitch. And we use it as like a judgment and as a, you know, this kind of like, rather than the truth of like actually this is a really important part of reality for us to look at but we just become so glib with the stuff because it's so repetitive and we say it and it gets into our cultural language the recovery slogans or the buddhist terminology or um i don't know but i i think that if you slow down you know even in recovery if you slow down and rather than being offended by people's misuse of these spiritual quotes or truths of just being like that's it is what it is <laughs> they're absolutely fucking right and just take a pause and be like it is what it is wow <laughs> okay i'm gonna end there i know there's some questions i know there's some more hands and stuff but it's nine o'clock and we done. You can accept that or not. It is what it is. It's nine o'clock. Against the stream is, has been, and always will be a nonprofit organization that is fully dependent and supported by your generosity. Obviously, I don't charge for these weekly groups, but generosity is accepted, encouraged, appreciated. Um, if you like Against the Stream and can and feel motivated to, please become a monthly supporter of the organization where you, um, on the website, you can go, there's a monthly supporter where you say, I wanna give $25 or $50 or $100 a month just to support keeping the lights on and the rent paid and the employees uh, supported for us to have this meditation center. Um, if you don't wanna do that, of course, no pressure, it's voluntary. And um, when you come to a drop-in class, the suggested donation is $25. If you can give that, please do. If you can't give $25, know that you're welcome to be here. And if it's $5 that's affordable for you or $10, whatever feels appropriate to your financial means, give what feels right to you. Um, or don't give anything. You're welcome to be here regardless of ability to donate. Know that.
I have um, one more West Coast meditation retreat this year in September, a seven-day silent meditation retreat just up the mountains in um, Lake Arrowhead, Big Bear area and Running Springs. Uh, you're all invited to come and spend seven days in silent meditation retreat with uh, me teaching it. So the, the information for that is on the Against the Stream website. It's actually, I'm registering through Refuge Recovery. Everyone's welcome, even if you're not in recovery. It's a co-Against uh, the Stream and Refuge retreat this year. I think that's all I got for tonight. Next week, I will be out of town, and I hopefully will have a substitute. I don't know, probably Jason Murphy, hopefully. Um, but somebody else will be here next week. Come anyways. Remember, you're not here for the teacher. You're here for the Sangha. So come, you know, and, and support each other. Uh, I'm on vacation. I'm going to Hawaii for a week. So I'll see you when I get back from vacation. And um, may any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma help us accept ourselves more deeply, help us accept each other more fully. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.